From Troy Public Radio, I'm Tim Phillips, and this is Clarinet Corner. Today I have a very special guest on the show from New York City, and his name is Anthony McGill. Hi, Anthony. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for being here. Anthony is the principal clarinetist of the New York Philharmonic, and although this is episode 406 of Clarinet Corner, Anthony was my first interview guest many years ago. Thank you so much for doing that, but uh, thank you for returning many, many years later. I want to talk to you about what you've been doing in this very strange period of time. I remember when this whole uh, COVID period started, um, I think you were doing the same thing I was doing, which is just staring at your phone to see what would happen next, like checking the news, checking Twitter, all this stuff. And I remember one day you wrote something. You wrote, uh, how's everybody doing? <laughs> and just say something. And I said, hi, Anthony. And you're like, hi, Tim. <laughs> and then it was it was funny because we're, we're kind of all in this in this state of, of shock and um, just kind of like you don't know what's going to happen. And as a as a as a clarinet player, I feel even more um, uh, sort of scared about this whole thing because it's a it's a disease that attacks the lungs, and yeah. this could this could really mess with our careers as clarinet players. Yeah. Exactly. And then uh, very shortly after that, there were incidents with George Floyd in Minnesota, and uh, Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia and Brianna Taylor as well. And that's kind of where your most recent project uh, began on May 28th. So uh, please tell us what, what that was. Yeah, so um, it was basically a response to all the all of the things you just mentioned, just that feeling of being kind of vulnerable and, uh, you know, frankly, uh, scared of what was gonna happen um, in present and future health-wise with my family and friends and everybody around the world and kind of feeling that um, sense of uh, vulnerability, but also um, anxiousness and um, anxiety about the state of the world, frankly. And then all of those things, the murders um, that we saw, you know, kind of really sparked something in me to to, to say something. And so I, I woke up one morning and I was, I, I, my goal was just to write, I was writing my thoughts down. I wanted to just kind of write a, a public statement about how I felt about the state of the world and about racial injustice and racial violence and racist violence in general and and how you know I felt the need um, to to speak up and and say something and I also was thinking a lot about how um, we often don't appreciate when people um, protest about something and how um, we get distracted and there are many different ways of looking at things, but oftentimes when people protest racial injustice specifically, um, there are lots of uh, distractions that take us away from the important point, which is that uh, people people are dying and mm -hmm. um, you know that we need equality. And so I wrote this statement about that, um, trying to unite um, the community around this concept that we could actually use our instruments or use our voices or our power, our skills to um, create change and to, to stand up proudly and say, we, we, this is wrong and we need to try to make this right. right. Um, so, you know, I started, started this, this movement. I didn't know it was gonna be a movement. 
but I just did a, a, a post challenging everyone to take two knees because um, Colin Kaepernick years ago um, took one knee on a football field and right. he lost his career and his job and everything else mm -hmm. by a peaceful protest. Right. And and so I was like, you know, I'm a musician. There's very little like I feel like I can do very, you know, and but I was like, let me try to use my power, my voice to try to um, continue that that movement, mm -hmm. that push right. for equality and justice. And so it was called I called it take two knees mm -hmm. um, because the first time with the one knee, it didn't work. And there are lots of complaints about how that took place. So right. um, this was my effort to try to say, I think the message there was was right. Did it ever cross your mind? Were you ever afraid that after what happened to Colin Kaepernick, that you doing this would jeopardize your career or your relationships in some way? That's a really interesting question. And um, I didn't mm -hmm. because I, I feel like, you know, I've spent my whole career and everyone in in my life and my career, a lot of people have been really supportive of me. Yeah. And so part of my argument as well was that all of the folks that have supported me my entire career in a predominantly white field um, should have no, this should not be radical to any of those folks. Right. You know, this should not Absolutely. be, you know, out, out of the box mm -hmm. because, um, you know, if you believe in human rights, you believe in rights for all people. Right? Absolutely. Yes. And so if you actually believe that all lives matter, then, you know, you believe that black lives matter as well. Mm -hmm. And so that was part of the message. And people people know me and my reputation speaks for itself. And what I found was that I think I was right about yeah. the community because so many people uh, came out and did tribute videos and in support and I wasn't communicating anything that I thought was was radical in any way right. and so um, I I really didn't have any fear of, of that um, career kind of uh, situation and maybe it's because I'm a little older now you know mm -hmm. I'm about to turn uh, 41 yep. and and so uh, if I was younger in my career maybe I wouldn't have been um, strong enough or courageous enough to do so, to say something. Right. And that's probably a response to it as well. I've heard you talk about uh, you didn't want to release a statement of, of just words because as a clarinetist, you thought, well, people will say, well, why don't you just play your clarinet? And uh, it's sometimes difficult to to get a, a point across or to, to make a statement musically because that can be so am, uh, ambiguous and uh, you know people would have to interpret it. But I think what you did... The, uh, your performance of America the Beautiful uh, was brilliant, and I want you to we're gonna we're gonna listen to it in a minute, but I want you to walk our listeners through uh, kind of what your thoughts were when you played. Yeah, I um, in in performing, and I was just gonna do a video, you know, that day of just me taking two knees and kneeling down and bowing my head, mm -hmm. um, just to give us pause and to have us think about what's going on in the world. And of course, that messaging means different things for different people. But what comes to mind to a lot of people is the image of, of praying, praying for change, praying for hope, praying for uh, righteousness. Um, and that was not lost on me. 
Um, but as I played America the Beautiful, um, I, I, I wanted to play it because, you know, I believe that that America that I know, that I dream of, that I want, that I have benefited from, is very beautiful, and that I'm proud to be an American because of the rights that we have, that because of the rights of freedom of speech, the rights to protest the right to live a beautiful life um, and to have opportunity in this country mm -hmm. and freedom and liberty. All the things that America is founded on, that I believe right. in, that I was trying to say that we need to stand that up as something, as our ideal and remember that that is our ideal for every person. And so I played it proudly, but also with 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 pain and thinking about, you know, those murders that we had just seen and just the history of that sort of um, violence in America, and and so I played it and then went into a minor key right. for the final stanza, you know, from C to shining C, to say that, you know, in the minor key that we're still not as beautiful as we could be until we live up to those ideas ideals that we all believe in right for everyone and so that was the kind of um messaging behind it. and that was kind of an accident that i fell into but i felt it was so right and then also put the piece in in, in black and white yeah as well and then I, I i slowly went down to my knees and then when i watched it after i got chills because i I felt that I was sending the message that I wanted to send, yeah. which is that this is a beautiful piece, but beautiful pieces also have moments where they go into a minor key. They get off of their major center of, um, you know, ideal, major key. And that's, that's what, what happened with that, is that yeah. it um, became something. And I think people understood in the sound um, that message that I was trying to say with my words, which were never good enough. That's right. There's something that music can do that can uh, cut through a lot of that. So if you're if you're listening in your car right now, I encourage you later to uh, look up Anthony McGill on YouTube, and you'll see his original uh, video and um, of America the Beautiful. And we're just going to take a listen and uh, and hear what Anthony had to say.
So that was Anthony McGill performing America the Beautiful in his uh, own beautiful way. And that happened on May 28th, and at that point, it became a sort of a viral thing uh, that people were making videos to support that movement and to support what you were saying, because so many of us uh, feel that that's an important thing to say, especially now. So uh, I think what you did was uh, was uh, brilliant, and uh, it connected with a lot of people. And then about a month later, there was another video that you posted on July 4th, and that sort of connects with Montgomery. Uh, you played My Country Tis of Thee, and this performance wasn't quite as... Uh, it was it was more just a, a statement of the tune, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, you know that that weekend of July fourth, there were a lot of different emotions. You know, um, this this pandemic has just really made us all um, just so kind of stressed and 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 thoughtful about the state of the world and. I chose uh, My Country Tis of Thee um, because of its historical significance and how the piece has come back um, in so many different forms. But I was thinking about um, uh, Marian Anderson's uh, performance mm -hmm. in front of the Lincoln Memorial. And a week before, I had talked with a historian from the University of Chicago about that performance, but also about a scene, and he's a um, history professor of American and African-American history. And he told me about a scene that happened after the Emancipation Proclamation um, of newly freed slaves rejoicing and then singing, breaking into song, singing that song. Really? And that was um, really moving for me. And we discussed that at length. Um, but it talked about how music is often used um, as as protest, but also um, to celebrate. Right. So that in a way, by by singing and playing some songs that we consider patriotic, really in the words of these songs, um, there is the concept that our country has improved because of change. Our 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 country. Um, is our country because America can move forward right. and that America doesn't always move backwards. Correct. Um, and that, that we can all unite for things that are better for the future. Mm -hmm. and, and so those songs of patriotism can become songs of protest and songs that unite us as well. The thing that stuck out to me, not only your playing, which is uh, beautiful, with the, um, the the voice over the the music, I thought that was a, a really impactful thing. Let's listen to your uh, July Fourth uh, video again. If you're driving your car when you get home, uh, type in "My Country Tis of Thee" with Anthony McGill and and watch this one because it's impactful as well. But uh, let's give it a listen. Um, was um, a description I came across some years ago, many years ago of um, former slaves um, in Beaufort, South Carolina, on January 1st, 1863. Um, they were gathered to listen to the reading of the Emancipation Proclamation, which had just been issued and they had received news of this through uh, telegraph, you know, with army officers, because uh, the UN, Union Army had captured 
that part of South Carolina early in the war. And um, abolitionists and others who were working with the uh, now freed people in that area. And uh, there was a, a general there, uh, Thomas Wentworth Dickinson, who was a, a leader of the colored troop that had been formed uh, to fight in the war. And he described the scene in which suddenly out of nowhere it seemed and spontaneously after the meeting of the Emancipation Proclamation, these people gathered there, these former slaves, um, uh, began to sing. And they sang, my country tis of thee, um, which was a kind of statement, obviously, of, um, of their gratitude for what had transpired. But also, and, and we have other evidence from other moments, um, staking a claim on the country, a country that they were very conscious that they had made its prosperity, its being was due to their efforts. And so, so there was a double kind of, of um, a meaning in that reaction. And then fast forward uh, 70 some years later or a little more, Marian Anderson at the uh, Lincoln Memorial, uh, where she, just after she had been barred from singing in the Constitution Hall by the uh, Daughters of the American Revolution, uh, and had been arranged for her to sing at the Lincoln Memorial instead, in a scene that was very much like 1963, uh, in terms of the crowd that was gathered. And she too began with, My Country, Tis of Thee. And that was My Country, Tis of Thee, performed by Anthony McGill and posted on July 4th. And uh, as I mentioned to you before we started the show, I frequently record this show at Troy Public Radio, which is uh, the Montgomery uh, station is upstairs from the Rosa Parks Museum in downtown Montgomery. And if I exit that building and walk a couple of blocks, um, that's where the Equal Justice Initiative is. And your... Uh, uh, performance on, on July 4th was um, in part to bring uh, awareness of this equal, equal Justice Initiative and to raise money for them. Give us some thoughts on that. Yeah, so um, for this second call, I actually I received so many messages from people that told me that um, they were hesitating to put out video the first time or that I'd heard about folks that that hadn't put out their videos because they didn't feel like it was their place to do so. And I wanted to make sure that everyone knew that, you know, this this movement or movements of change need everyone to participate. Otherwise they don't work. And that's a, a people of different colors and and, and religions and, and backgrounds. And um, so that was my initial message. And then, so I wanted to also do something more than just and there were, you know, other thoughts that performances don't matter, that they don't create change, right? And I wanted to counteract that and say, you know, as musicians, we do have power. We have power to encourage people to use their voices, but also encourage people to raise money for great causes and and to make change that way. And so the organization I chose, it was hard to choose just one, right? But um, I've been so inspired by the work that Brian Stevenson has been doing. And um, I met him once uh, in New York and I read his book and read books of people that he's gotten um, uh, released from death row. 
and seen the movie, of course, but, you know, the organization just brings so much awareness in addition to the work they do legally. So just bringing our consciousness back to the past to, to really expose, you know, what really happened here in America and why we need this change. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to, to have people join me, but also to say, if you post a video in support of this or a hashtag or just call my name out on social media that I'm going to put my money to this great cause because of your support and solidarity. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you for doing that. So um, we'll end today's show with a performance that you did very recently, and you performed in a small space with a with a pianist that you've known for many years, Anna Polonsky. I'll tell you what that was that was one of the best moments that I've had in in a few weeks, intellectually, <laughs> because I got to listen to a concert, a live concert, and it's, it was all music that I love, uh, some new things too. You played one of my favorite pieces, the the Sonata for Clarinet and Piano by Carlos Guastavino one of the top two composers of Argentina uh, next to Piazzolla, but his, but Gostavino's music is, is a little different. Um, in fact, one of the things you said before you played this piece was that it's kind of like Rachmaninoff, this, this sonata. And I've always said that. I think so, too. And uh, there's nothing else like it, really, in the clarinet repertoire. Right. Any thoughts about that performance? Was that weird? Were you afraid to be in a space like that with, I presume, a few people, no mask, because yeah. you had to play? Yeah, it was it was a little I was a little worried about it. But unfortunately, in New York, we got hit really hard very early on. And so this was this recital was scheduled long before this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be to to go somewhere, I was going to do it in my living room and then they suggested going to a place. And I was very concerned. Yeah. And and but they told me that no one had been in this space for many months except for a couple cleaners coming in to clean the place. Mm-hmm. And the people that have been going uh, in there had been being tested regularly. And so okay. there were only um, three other people in the room, basically, you know, um, mm-hmm. from the present- a couple from the present- main presenting organizations. And that was it. Oh, that's good. So <laughs> I, was, I was more worried for them, you know, with me blowing through my instrument. Right. You know, um, in case you're asymptomatic. Exactly. And they had masks on and everything. But it was a really amazing thing to be able to play with someone else, music with someone else. So oh, yeah. shocking that we're, we're here, but that's where it is. And there was so much support. So many other presenters signed on to be a yeah. part of presenting it. Which yeah, was a very long amazing. list. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it very much. So we'll listen to the third movement of the Sonata for Clarinet and Piano by Carlos Costafino. And this is with Anthony McGill Clarinet and Anna Polanski at the piano. the third movement of the Sonata for Clarinet and Piano by Carlos Guastavino with Anthony McGill playing clarinet and Anna Polanski at the piano. Anthony, thank you so much for being with me on the show today. This is uh, something I really have been looking forward to and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Tim. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. So, thank- Nice to be back after all this time. Thank you. You've been listening to Clarinet Corner, a production of Troy Public Radio and produced by Joey Hudson. I'm Tim Phillips, and there's a lot more where that came from. This is Troy Public Radio.